If you have thoughts, I like. I love we your reaction. Don't necessarily to it. need to put it in, but just your reaction right there made me go. You know, I want to. I don't think I've ever asked you about Monday. Or what's your understanding of like that kind of pop culture churches? Because Did you I, hold on, I, I remember this. I remember when I first met you, and I was like entrenched in mosaic stuff. And I remember, I think I quoted Irwin or something. Yeah. And your reaction was so dismissive, and I was like, <laughs> I thought this sorry. Guy, sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. Uh, clearly, <laughs> it, it, it endeared me um, to <laughs> you. So I just remember, I was like, I thought this guy would be so all about this arts movement and this creative culture and these people who are like mm -hmm. artists at work. And, and you're like, no, not at all. And you teach at the art center. Yeah. So it, you just. Yeah. I, it's actually really funny. I went there with Pete Rollins. And we lasted, I think, 15 minutes. Because, <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. What he, Erwin got up and he said some bullshit thing about, you know, he was up in the mountains seeking the Lord or something and all the cool people tweeted him yeah. about um, what was going on. Were you talking about Terry No, I don't uh, know. And yeah. then he went, you know, and somebody tweeted me this weekend and said, hey, Johnny Depp's in the house. And he was like, yeah, that's really cool, but I want to tell you that somebody more famous than Johnny Depp is in the house tonight, and his name is Jesus. And I looked at Pete, and he looked at me, and we just walked out the fucking door. Oh, man. A, a because oh. I heard shit like that in the 1980s. Right. Yeah. And I think that is, that is um, you, you just got like, uh, fortunately, you just cut right to like the quick. I think of what it took a lot of us like a year and a half, two years, three yeah, years right. to notice. Yeah, you just got you just got it right away. You got a shot of it right away. Whereas I think that's sort of the feeling yeah. for a lot of us is like this is this is probably like more Hollywood than we would than we're comfortable. You know, yeah, with. I mean, no. uh, the, the, those the the weird thing about uh, pop. Christianity is is its fascination with celebrity mm -hmm. and the the le legitimization that it wants by having cool people you know so if Justin Bieber shows up at your your Bible study or whatever that somehow that legitimizes what you're doing rather than actually questions what you're doing not because there's anything wrong with him yeah but right. but the fact that you know that somehow makes you cool hmm. actually doesn't make you cool at all it makes you less than cool i think that's mm -hmm. that's what's fascinating to me about but, you because you were i mean your kind of faith started with being around the cool kids being around yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the acdc music celebrity sure. crew and and coming from an outsider like me i never around that at mosaic it seemed like there was a mindset of well if you influence the influencers then your ripple effect is greater. Yeah. So if we get Justin Bieber in the house, yeah. he could preach on stage at a concert, and then boom, yeah. we've got But it. he won't, because 
that's not how he makes his living right. and that's not how he keep his audience probably and uh, and that's not actually the way that you connect with people I, I, I don't think so right. and to be quite honest I, I was you know cause I, I'm a bit older so I've been around that stuff for a while mm -hmm. so that was what was going on in the 1980s right there once was a very religious man who was stranded alone on a deserted island. One day a ship was passing by and he managed to create a massive signal fire that caught the attention of the crew. The ship redirected their course towards the island and the man was rescued. As the captain surveyed the island, he noticed three large structures and questioned the man about them. The man proudly replied that one was his home and the other was his church where he worshipped daily and prayed for his rescuer to come. When the captain asked him about the third structure, the man replied, Oh, that's the church I used to go to. There is perhaps no more Christian a thing than having a church you used to go to. And despite Barry's sharp edges, he's eyeballs deep in Christianity. What often happens to an extremely intelligent and observant person like Barry when they spend decades around Christian culture is that they tend to get a little cynical. It feels like they've seen and heard it all before because most likely they have. The format of even the coolest American, European, and Australian megachurches is almost identical to that of frontier churches that spread across colonial America in the 1800s. A few upbeat songs, a charismatic sermon from a fiery preacher, and an altar call all to collect new believers. Three steps that a man named Charles Finney pioneered when he literally took church out of the chapel and into the theater on Chatham Street in New York City back in the 1820s using the same routine. It was at this point that entertainment officially beat out content, as it tends to, and people left their stodgy Roman Catholic pews in droves to attend these engaging evangelical services. Fast forward to the 1980s, which Barry just referenced, when a hip experimental church in the UK started the 9 o'clock service that exploded in popularity as it catered to young artists and utilized the latest technology available to create multi-sensory effects-driven worship services more entertaining than anyone else had ever seen within the walls of a church. But something interesting seems to be happening these days. The entertainment factor isn't as powerful as it once was in its ability to captivate the souls of young believers who have seemingly seen it all before. The Barna Group reports that almost 60% of millennials who grew up in the church have left it at some point in their life. 40% of people who say they don't go to church at all explain that it's because they quote, find God elsewhere. My question is, when did going to church become about finding God? I was raised in the church, but my most spiritual moments were never during a Sunday service. What about you? In Matthew 18:20, Jesus says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That's church at its core. It's not some grand search for the divine, it's simply an acknowledgement of his presence amidst community. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but in LA, church seems to have become more about a place that looks cool enough to pass the test for my edgy, skeptic, non-Christian friends I'm hoping to convert than about creating a genuine space for spiritual growth and holistic healing. There's a woman named Phyllis Tickle, yes, I repeat, Phyllis Tickle, who is an expert in church history and the Christian culture. Honestly, she's a badass 80-year-old from the deep south with a well-documented love of Jack Daniels and liberal theology, so I'm a huge fan. But she has a fascinating theory about where we are today based on the fact that about every 500 years, the church and society completely shift and have what she calls a rummage sale, 
in which we throw out the previous ideologies in order to make way for a revolution in human consciousness. So follow me on this. Starting back around 1000 BC, you have the Davidic dynasty, which is all the major kings that all the good Christians know about with Saul and David and Solomon and all that. And then 500 years later, you have the Babylonian captivity when shit hits the fan and Israel was completely destroyed and they all go into captivity. 500 years after that, you have the Great Transformation, which is the change of the eras and the life of Jesus. About 500 years later, you have the Council of Chalcedon and the fall of Rome. 500 years later, you have the Great Schism and the church splits into the East and the West. 500 years later, you have Martin Luther and John Calvin who helped spur on the Great Reformation. And 500 years later is today, is the emergent church is the confusing and expanding and creative and identity crisis-filled church. My hope is that by acknowledging the broader context of our spirituality and understanding the patterns of religious societies that have risen and fallen before us, we can steer our communities of faith away from narcissistic tribalism and into the most beneficial, sustainable place possible. Richard Rohr describes what I think is the healthiest approach to modern emergent church culture in his book, Falling Upward. He writes, You can belong to such institutions for all the good that they do, but you no longer put all your eggs in that one basket. This will keep you and others from unnecessary frustration and anger, and from knocking on doors that cannot be opened from the other side. In short, this is what I mean by emerging Christianity. That pretty much says it all. Now back to Barry. And it's the, still, it's the same shit. It's the same message. It's the same statements. I mean, I heard probably in 15 minutes at that place, about 20 things that I'd heard a thousand times before, you know, presented as these kind of novel ideas, that really it's just this floating propaganda rhetoric that's Mm -hmm. in the ether. It's kind of the reduction of, of, of thinking down to these slogans that are like the insider terminology that people use and and it's fine it just doesn't work for me you know it it obviously works for a whole bunch of people who go there on a regular basis and who find a a a thrill well i mean is it working though do you think in any in any meaningful way oh actually are you recording this already yeah oh i i mean i I don't want to judge it you, you know because you don't you don't know what what's going on with with uh, somebody, and I certainly wouldn't discount the experience that people have. By the same token, um, it tends not to last, mm-hmm. and that there seems to be a back end fallout to yeah, yeah. to that that kind of uh, it, it, <laughs> experience. You know, because because ultimately, it, I, I, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and and I I wouldn't want to single out any necessarily particular place either I, I think it's one of the dynamics mm-hmm. of popular religion in in the 21st century it, um, this kind of uh, surface level that has the affect of getting down to deep deep things but really it's it's more um, it's more I, I would argue rooted in self-help and pop psychology than, than in actually theological constructs that might really challenge your, your life. But I was, I was talking to somebody about this, it might have even been yesterday, I, I, I can't remember, and um, I said that the interesting thing is, it, because I sort of poke my nose in places, because I, I, as much as it like 
irritates me and it really irritates me. I mean, I, I, I find myself just getting so angered by it. I mean, it's like crazy. I'm like, geez, let it go. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not your, not your thing, but, but we I, get it. But, yeah. I, but, I, but, I, but I was listening, you know, I, I, I listen to the music and it, and it's always, I, I think it's actually shame based. Hmm. It, um, it, it's, you know, it's all, and it's all about God. You can't you can't make a move uh, without God being the supreme factor in it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's I'm broken, I'm fallen, I, I'm wounded, and it, and it all sounds like really really great, and you know you heal me and you restore me, um, but there's always that sort of coda, but I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, I'm a worm, and you know, in a church like Mosaic, I mean, it's Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you scratch the surface, and what you have is essentially a fairly conservative evangelical theological perspective mm-hmm. that that is attempting to uh, grapple with realities, and it prizes things like creativity, which obviously, in a place like Hollywood, where people come because, well, who doesn't want to be creative? today I mean you buy a computer and and it almost forces you into creativity because <laughs> half the stuff that comes with it is yeah. you know how you can yeah. do all that stuff but uh, I, yeah just and and but it but for me it, it's the content it, it's this language of uh, and I get it because it's very it's very purpose driven it gives mm. people this cause that's bigger than themselves yeah. and and I think that there's this ongoing dynamic within human beings for the 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 need to to have meaning. You know, there's a philosopher, um, Julia Kristeva, and she talks about the 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 dichotomy of the times in which we live. That that there's this ongoing um, desire. To, to believe to have like meaning of, of some kind it might be religious it, right. it might be something else but that's also tempered by by the need to know and what she means by the need to know is the kind of more rational logical answers to life and we sort of live in this tension between you know the 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 desire to believe and and the need to know and and churches contemporary evangelical churches function i think on on the the desire to believe end of the spectrum and largely leave the need to know stuff out of the equation mm-hmm. either intentionally or or unintentionally and and that need to know stuff is where the business of life happens i think because hmm. ultimate like that that need to know and to be given that open ultimate meaning and purpose that's great but if it doesn't come with things that sort of ground you in reality you have problems mm-hmm. and uh so how do you mix that idea with what you said with what you're saying about like most of this christianity quote-unquote mm-hmm. today is that pop psychology and self-help because well, yeah, yeah because well it's weird it's like you know because it, it, it's it's all you know you can be great but you can only be great if you're doing what god wants you to do yeah and you know and and that's a very you know that's that's bandied around you know everywhere you know well god you know you need to find out what god wants you to do with your life it's like really okay let's work out that 
because you know read your bible and you'll see that occasionally there are people who get spoken to mm-hmm. they have experiences but they're not normative mm-hmm. not everybody else is not you know moses gets a word the other israelites get nothing mm-hmm. they just have to trust they have to trust him mm-hmm. we live in this weird time where the responsibility for your own spirituality is singularly upon your own shoulders and i think that's a a really a fairly recent phenomenon you know it, it's part of the dynamic of religion in the modern world is that you and i if we choose to be uh are, well we're responsible for our own lives in a way that people have never been really after you know the last two or three hundred years but when it comes to religion particularly um that I, I, I feel I feel for people because they they carry a, a responsibility and a weight for their so-called spiritual life that most people didn't have to carry in in previous eras when there was a, a more you know it used to be that if somebody was religious it meant they were part of a religious order they were either a a, a, a cleric or or a monastic mm-hmm. and everybody else they weren't regarded as religious didn't mean that you didn't have uh, a belief or a faith or something like that but but that kind of set of mediated priests and monastics they did the spiritual work mm-hmm. you know now everybody does their own spiritual work and you hear those things how's your spiritual life how's your spiritual walk you know the thing <laughs> the things that that you need to do and what 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 it, mm-hmm. i see is um an appropriation of, of a couple of things to come back to your question sorry that was a meander no but, I, I like it but um so it's this whole notion of, you know, you can be great, you can be powerful, you can be the person that, that, that you want to be, and all that's required is that you give your life to God and you serve God faithfully and you find out what God wants you to do and, and, and you do all of those things. And it's presented as, as something that's easily worked out if you pray enough, read enough, you know, go to church enough, uh, get involved in, in, in enough groups, you you can find out this very elusive piece of information. And, and, and I think that's exactly what it is. It's an elusive piece of information. And I also think it's completely contradictory to, or at least for me, it's contradictory to how I understand the whole nature of Christianity, which I think for me is that you are given freedom. Mm-hmm. And the freedom that you're given is the freedom to live your life and assume the responsibility for the life that you live, not the other way around. So what's the point of having a God then, like an all-powerful... Well, I don't believe in an all-powerful God. What? I love these uh, statements. I mean, I don't, like, I, I, don't, so, I don't buy into that whole metaphysical supernatural right uh, i'm not a supernaturalist i think that's uh, one of the things that grabbed me when we were in south by southwest the first class i had with you yeah. we were walking down the street and you're like yada, 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 I, 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 I think i this. think the big you know god as the big other is uh, a, a remnant from another era it, it, it's it, it's a particular way of looking at and understanding the world that, that I, I don't share and part of it is because i've never been inspired the fact and i was thinking about this you know i mean i i seem not to be able to shake off religion in Mm. in some way it's definitely framed my life in many ways both in terms of kind of my my lived life but also kind of academic life and 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 stuff like that but i've actually never been on a search for god Mm -hmm. and i wasn't looking for god 
and I'm still not looking for God. So I've never really felt the need to project stuff out outside of me. But but I also think that that construct is is a failed, it's a failed construct. It's it's just that you know, lang we use language to describe what we can't explain. You know, Nick Cave, the 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 singer songwriter said that that words are, are the blanket that we throw on the invisible to give it shape. Mm -hmm. So for me, God is just a blanket term for. A, we're throwing it on something to try and, and, and give shape to our life and also to have something to uh, respond to, maybe react against and, and, and connect with. But, but, but that's, that's why I find it. And, and I think that becomes problematic. And I think this is what becomes problematic when you build these kingdoms all around this supernatural God who knows all, controls all, and is in charge of all when that unravels for you and it will unravel for everybody at some particular moment in life because you will encounter something that runs contradictory to those claims you'll get hurt someone will die something will happen things happen in life and and then you have to start to do this theological dance Mm. Oh, well, God knows, and there are some things that mm. I can't know. Well, yeah, of course, there's a lot of shit that I don't know about life. I don't know how a phone works, but I use one, so, <laughs> so sure. But, but, you know, you start to have to do this theological dance about um, how to... And, and it, you wind up defending God, yeah, mm -hmm. not, not the, the person, you know. So you wind up with, oh, well, maybe you just need to pray a little harder or... Right. So I, I think it's it's a it's it's a complicated it's a complicated thing, uh, and when we present these simplistic views of how the world works in a world that's as complex as ours, oh, it's simple. God made the world and everything in it, and right. He's in control of it all, and all you've got to do is follow Him. Well, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, just good yeah. luck with that, because you know. Read your Bible. Yeah, not that easy. So how do you? How do you? I always wonder how you exist in this world at Fuller, and you've been in part of like really like Episcopalian churches, which mm -hmm. now I go to one. And um, how do you live in that world where I feel like you're swimming with people who don't have the same shape? Like they've, they're yeah. not even casting the blanket. They're not using the same language as you. Sure. If, can I? If I can dumb yeah. the question down even further, uh, <laughs> dumb it down. Just dumb. really, just really reduce it because. Because the, the position I try, I tend to try to take in, yeah. in this space is I want to be, uh, I'm always thinking about my, my friends who are completely outside of the church and sure. are just like not speaking this yeah. language at all. So you're, you're talking about some really like fringe theology stuff sure. and it's far on the outside of the modern American church. Yeah. And so I know this is just a word and it's just like language construction. Yeah. But we're sitting in your office. There's Christian symbolism. Yep. Would you identify as a Christian? Would you use like that sort of staunch terminology, or does it immediately become more nuanced? Uh, immediately more nuanced. Okay. I, I guess um, the best I could claim is if somebody asked me if I was a Christian, maybe I'd say I'm trying to be. Yeah, I like that. I like that answer. But but I don't even know that I necessarily uh, feel the need to self-identify 
that that intently and yet my life has been entirely framed and shaped by a journey in and through and with and around the figure of Jesus that's found in the Bible so not even I mean I read like external stuff and I'm fascinated by the way um, within culture uh, Jesus is has still got currency Mm -hmm. I, I think that's because you, as much as we, we perhaps don't like to admit it, the one of the cultural underpinnings of Western civilization is Judeo-Christian symbolism and metaphor. And it doesn't go away because people don't believe in it. You right. know what I mean? The, those symbols still have traction and they have currency in, in, in ways we're probably not even uh, aware of. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm not afraid of... Uh, of of sort of laying claim to, to that attempt either. I just think that there's, uh, to use an old expression, more than one ways to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that uh, my, my, my own sort of particular travels through um, the, the world of contemporary Christian religion have actually served to move me further and further away from the central ideological constructs that most of those people revolve around. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm not alone in that. Mm -hmm. do, do you know what I, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's always this the, there's always this sense in which, particularly in in more conservative uh, environments, which which is very interesting because most of the the happening churches, if you want to call them that, mm -hmm. are generally uh, quite conservative mm -hmm. in, in, in their politics, in their right. economics, yeah. and particularly in their theology and, and, and their religion, and uh, uh, which creates internal problems for them because in a world that's changing, uh, they have great difficulty in accommodating uh, Differences. Do you think that's part of the aesthetic <clears throat> or the power of aesthetic? Because externally, these churches look hip; they look uh, culturally yeah. forward. But then you get into the doctrine, you're like, "Huh." Yeah. yeah. See, here's my take on it: is my take on it is if you look hip, you're probably not hip. Because hmm. <laughs> when everybody in a room, <laughs> good, just good life lesson. No, no. When everybody in the room looks like a hipster, yeah, they're not hip anymore. Hmm. Yeah. That's the, that's the illusion. You know, the illusion, you know, it's like if everybody's got a beard, you should probably shave it off mm. if you want to be hip. Mm. So, so that, that whole, so that whole thing of like the cool kids, the cool, the cool, the cool church, you know, I understand it. And, and I have no problem with, I, I mean, it's not like I have a problem with, with, uh, the collapsing of, uh, of religious boundaries. I mean, I think that mainline churches have just as many problems in entirely different directions. So right. it's not, it's not, the big thing for me is not even how it looks. I could care less. Right. It's the content of the conversation that I find most problematic. And I think at the mm -hmm. end of the day, for people outside the church, it they may not be comfortable with organ music and a choir. They may right. be more comfortable with guitars and, and video screens. But in both locations, if what's being talked about is not uh, substantive to their, to their life, it doesn't matter how you dress it up. Right. It's still a pig with lipstick. Yeah. Hmm. 
guiding it back to what Colm had originally asked. Yeah. Because like, you're totally speaking my language, but yeah. then I get stuck in the sense of like, well then why do I need to, why be intentional about being around the church you don't or have Christians to be. at all? Um, I so avoid most you, of them like the plague. For you personally, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, why Fuller? Why, why the Christian well, Avenue? Well, <laughs> good question. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, because what, what, why Fuller is, um, I'm, I'm here because I, I sort of started a leg of a journey here. Mm -hmm. And I still feel capable of exploring that journey here right now. Um, and mostly, uh, I, I, I think I, I, I could say I feel welcomed here. Mm. And I'm interested because it's a locus for mm. thinking and reflecting about things that still interest me. So I, I, as, as I said to you earlier, um, for whatever reason, I haven't particularly been able to uh, shake or dismiss my own interest, both personally and more sociologically, um, with spirituality and religion and, and, and stuff like that. So it's been part of my life work and, and exploration. So um, I'm here because I've been here and uh, I like the opportunity to think out loud in an academic environment. And uh, I find increasingly more and more people coming through the doorways of a place like this who are less settled in how they see the world. And maybe you could say they're coming apart at the edges a little bit in terms of maybe waking up to some new realities or, or, or just willing to explore other ways of thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And so I feel capable or, or able to help with that. Although I, I'm not particularly, uh, I wouldn't regard myself as like a big evangelist for my particular position. You know, I, I'm, I'm very happy with, this is what I've come to, this is what I think about it. You have to work it out for yourself, really. Mm -hmm. um, but here are some things to think about. You know, so it doesn't matter to me what, what anybody thinks, so long as they actually think for themselves mm -hmm. what they think and don't just adopt somebody else's ideas and yeah. claim, it, claim it as their own. So it, it, it's complex for me. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with the whole enterprise. Hmm. Not just, I mean, I don't mean an academic institution. I mean, the whole enterprise of uh, contemporary... Christianity right 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 by the same token um, I, th I think there are um, interesting things to explore mm -hmm. in that world and I think as I said there are other ways of, uh, uh, of thinking about it and that's really where my interest is so I'm hmm. I'm I'm not even interested that much in critiquing other stuff as much as I am sort of working out the the sort of forward momentum. Do, do you know Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, is there like a point that you think you could learn enough or read enough or experience enough stuff where you just washed all the shit behind you, like just left the Christianity Christ narrative and became a humanist atheist something? Well, 
I feel like you've absorbed so much of life. You have so many reasons not to be. I, well, you know, that's why. I, see, that's why I don't sort of self-categorize right, in, yeah. in, 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 in that way. I think it's quite possible. In fact, I, I regard myself as a post-theistic person all mm-hmm. the way around. I think atheism uh, as a contemporary, like neo-atheism, mm-hmm. is uh, it's a straw man. It's 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 built. It's a house of cards, just as much as theism. You know, it, it's the extension of a continuum that I no longer live on. How? Theism and atheism. It's it's a continuum. And mm-hmm. at one end you've got the theists, and at the other end you've got the atheists. Like, but essentially, gonna... they're both talking about the same thing. I believe in this god. I don't believe in that god. I don't believe in. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I'm not on that yeah. spectrum. Yeah. So, so for me, that that's a theistic question, and I'm interested in a world after, after that kind of god. So that's yeah, where that's, that's where that's, that's where I live. I feel like I see you floating in that outlier space, and I'm still trying to figure out what the spectrum is before I can transcend it. Sure. That's why I liked your classes because I'm like, wow, you're so you're you're like yeah, outside of my I box, mean, and I'm trying to figure this out before I can even leave it behind. Yeah, I, I think you have to. Yeah. I, I mean. I, I view it like um, shedding skin. Yeah. You know, that skin was probably necessary and helpful at a particular moment in mm-hmm. time. But there comes a point when you just need to get rid of it. Right. Uh, um, but, but you know, it's like a snake. It sheds its skin at specific moments mm. and too soon and it's it's not it's not enough. So right. that's why I said I, I, I never really want to push people beyond anything that um, they're not ready to uh, address in in their own life but I sometimes will raise a flag and go well have you thought about this or have you looked at this this way or have you considered that you know because we're all blind to everything but what we see (laughs) you know know what I mean and and so realizing how blind you are in life not what you see Mm. I think is 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 the 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 challenge so you know i right i i i think i you know i view myself uh as i I, the closest i think i would say is i'm a post-theistic materialist christian (laughs) can you explain the materialist (laughs) (laughs) so i don't so i I, i'm not really a transcendent person okay Uh, I, i i don't particularly as i said i don't really think of god as other and I don't think the requirement of Christianity is the embrace of a metaphysical supernatural other. Right. Um, and you would say like there is no body, soul, spirit divide. It's just a th- we're all we're my hu- skin is much my spirit. We're, hum- we're humans. Right. I, th- I think those are those are ways of talking. So you know, people go, you know, well, your soul, and I'm like, well, okay, that's a way of talking about something yeah. that seems to be part of what it means to be human. Yeah. Your soul but, was but, this, but we don't know right and it's your soul it, until you have Alzheimer's and then yeah. well, how does your soul yeah. change and, and, now, you know, you and, the, and then the, obs- the yeah. obsession you know because it's written there you know is what's important is your subjective life mm-hmm. you know your spiritual life you know people talk about all the time your, your spiritual life and I'm like yeah. what is that right there's just a life that's the thing you, you broke down it's, yeah. hol- sorry, it's sorry, holistic. Yeah. I keep wanting so, to like jump yeah. in. Like, I have so many questions. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I don't know. I'll, I'll throw this out there, and if go, it tags onto anything, 
the thing that you break down a lot, and I've heard you break down in class and in the Rob when you were on Rob Bell's podcast, like the the boundary of sacred and profane, I think is something that is slowly getting chipped away at sure. in culture, mm-hmm. especially yeah. with like sexuality. Yeah. So what is sacred? What is profane? What are your how do you navigate that? Because I know, like, again, you're probably outside of that whole spectrum entirely. Yeah. But with your life experience and how you found faith and... and well, you know... The, outside, the, outside the spectrum of sexuality? Oh, no. Like, uh, you've transcended uh, sex? Yeah. How? Uh, uh, no, actually, no, uh, no, and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to transcend <laughs> sex? <laughs> like, some categories are good. Some up. things just yeah. don't need to be transcended. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, um, no. Well, God, what were we saying? Sacred here? See, you just mentioned so, sex so like, and people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, well, I, I think, <laughs> I, I, I think that that, you know, we live in an era where everything or, or things are either collapsing on themselves or or have collapsed, and mm-hmm. and and there used to be much clearer boundaries uh, mm-hmm. in. in between things you know so if you like read the old testament you know this is holy that's not holy this is sacred right that's not sacred these actions are right these actions i feel like we still live in that Mm -hmm. yeah ish ish yeah but it's always been a moving target Mm. and in a world like ours where geography is no longer a boundary Mm. so you know what becomes sacred space now? Nature, mm. temple, church. You know, some people, oh, church is a sacred space. Well, you know, you take a lot of contemporary churches, they, they, they take over old buildings, factories, yeah. industrial spaces. Um, they, they have no sort of language of sacrality about around space mm. for them what's sacred is, is, is kind of an internal the people that show monologue up and, and, yeah. and, and dialogue about uh, about that you know um, so we, we live where things that were taboo are, are, aren't really taboo as much but but we, but but we also live in an era where there are you know myriad of opinions about what's sacred and and, yeah. and and what's profane and no shortage of platforms to voice those yeah. opinions and and you know it's 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 like I, I remember when 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 Britney Spears was first like on MTV you know she 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 was you know she's right yeah, that's when yeah when they when there was still weird music videos you know yeah right oh, but yeah. you know but you know they they'd sort of she'd be you know dancing in a like sexy schoolgirl outfit and right. and touting her chastity right at, at the same time and and and, and i think that's a and not to single her out because i i think that that's that's the kind of world that we live in right is you have those tensions of uh, of an overtly sexualized person yeah who claims uh, a kind of inert sexual position right in, in, in life there's a classic example of how do you make how do you make sense of that and yeah. that happens a million times a day on a million issues, you know. You think about yeah. you go to a, a contemporary church service. They, it, it's like a rock show, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like a rock show, and and I, and, I, and my only problem is I think the songs are worse than a rock show. So <laughs> so, so so it's not what they're doing. Again, yeah. it, it would be for me be, it generally be a, be a, a, a content issue, and, and some people go that's profane, and I just go that's just music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, do you know what I mean? So working out lines between the sacred and the profane, I think, is one of the challenging things. And and I and I think if if you sort of were to explore, I mean, look at Jesus um, in in the Gospels. You know, he is singled out for his profane actions. He eats and drinks with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Yeah. He redefines notions of holiness by throwing back Old Testament stories at the upholders of, of holiness in, in, in his time. Mm. So so this assumption that you know this is holy and that's not holy and it's just easily fixed. Right. Uh, it, it's again, it's another fairy tale, and the challenge is is you have to work out then how those things exist. But for me, um, there, there's this uh, theologian Altizer, um, who who is one of the sort of early architects of kind of what they call death of God theology, mm-hmm. and um, he basically said that that if you want to understand the nature of um, the sacred you don't say no to radical profanity you say yes to it that you find the sacred sometimes in the most profane mm-hmm. environments and i would argue that it usually shows up there first right that that's where you actually find the locations or new new hints of whatever the divine so how is that not an excuse to go like I think your analogy was bury yourself in a pile of heroin, you know. Well, because <laughs> like, well, if I find it in the profane. Like, the profane looks way more fun than the yeah, Christian well, stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that that's usually the argument that people make, and they go, "Oh, well, people will just go oh, yeah. do whatever they're going to do." Well, a here's my thing: if you're going to take heroin, you're going to take heroin, whether it's sacred or profane. You're just going to do it because you want to do it. <laughs> you'll you'll find a way to to justify. I don't think that's license at all. I think it's a require, but what it is though, is it's an invitation to become self-aware, hmm. to grow up, and to ask questions of life, and make choices and decisions that you're willing to take responsibility for, and not have somebody say, "Well, God wants you to do this," or "God wants you to do, to right. do, to do." to do that so I, I think it's a little bit of an extreme to run over here and yeah. go oh that's just license to do anything I'm not saying that at all I'm saying you you have to rethink and you have to rediscover what those things and, and those lines are and my rule of life is pretty simple actually I try not to be an asshole mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's really I am at that because I because I can be. Uh, I'm I'm pretty good at that. You know you know you know you know after a while what you're good at, and and I'm 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 good. <laughs> I, I can I can be a right asshole. You know to myself and, and to other people. So I try I, I try not to be. I try to um, temper those parts of me that 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 moved to towards that. And and I find that that the more honest I am with myself. The more interesting things get when I encounter sort of religious ideas and stuff. You need to say something. It's interesting because, like, I hear, like, I I think this is this speaks more to like the internal war within myself as I'm continually trying to like sort through 
the the fundamentalism that yeah. was like laid into me yeah. from early on. Because I hear everything that you're saying, and I'm like, to- I'm on board. I love it I- exactly. And then I can also and then you want feel- a moral code. Yeah. Then you, I <laughs> yeah. feel that like, oh, but then it just like, it gets so subjective. Well, it is subjective though. I mean, we live in the wake of the Protestant Reformation. We live in the era of subjectivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, that since the Protestant Reformation, the, the, the Reformation gifted Western society with a couple of notions. One of them was everybody has the right to read and interpret scripture for themselves in their own language. Mm-hmm. Magical idea destined to cause immense amount of problems mm-hmm. because the three of us read the same verse of scripture and we have three opinions. Mm-hmm. Which one is right? Who do we appeal to? Where do we go? Do we just trust our own conscience? Well, who do you think you are? I mean, I wouldn't trust your conscience, so <laughs> why would you trust mine? You know, so, so you can see the complications. So yep. subjectivity plays a part in, in uh, contemporary uh, life all the way around. It's one of the responsibilities that we assume is basically we have to carry all this stuff and we don't live in a world where, um, we, you know, authority to some degree in religion is self-proclaimed and, and granted by those who listen today. There is no like sort of inbuilt cultural idea that, oh, those people know, that they, they speak to God and for God to us. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? So, but there's, a, there's an old quote um, from Augustine um, who, who said a, a variation of, love God and do what you like, hmm. and do what you will. So you can read that two ways. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm just going to go do what I want. That's not what he means. What he means is if you love God, you need to work out what that means and how that will impact your actions. But if you've worked it out, then do what you like. Because mm-hmm. what you like to do hmm. will be tempered by how you understand what it means to love God. So what does you loving God look like? Me loving God? Yeah. Well, I don't believe in God. We've already had this discussion. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wait, 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 all the last three minutes. I think that was more for me. It was, I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah, all right, cool, yeah. good. Uh, no, uh, I mean, starting place. I, you know, I, mean, I, I, I say that. It, it's, you know, I, 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 let me just be clear. I, I don't embrace metaphysics and, and, and I don't brace, embrace the notion of, you know, theism particularly and I don't really feel the need uh, or see the need I mean my, my favorite gospel <laughs> yes I'm that nerdy I have a favorite gospel it, it is <laughs> is the gospel of Mark oh Mark really and you know God is not very present in the gospel mm. of Mark he speaks twice <clears throat> and disappears halfway through the book and is never heard of again Mm. I think it's quite possible to live a Christian life. And so you like the short ending then too? Yeah, where there's no resurrection. (laughs) Because it opens up this space for possibility, Mm. for the impossible, as one of my favorite theologians, John Caputo, talks Mm. about. So I'm not, you know, uh, I could be wrong. I think my brain is just doing that young, like Western things. Like, oh, he says that, but how does he live it out? Like, how does yeah. that play out? Because it's yeah. such a profound idea. And I always go home from anytime I hear you speak or yeah. class, I'm like, but what? How do I? 
Maybe I just well, need to release that. Yeah, and, 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 and again, I, it, it's... Um, I mean, we're talking about this because we're talking about this. Right. Um, I don't sort of walk around... Sort of. thinking about this no I, I no I think right. about that I'm like I obsess about this internally <laughs> like, no. but I don't I, like I said I don't feel the need to like go around messing with everybody else's head about this stuff it's just where yeah it, it's just the things it, it's where my interests have taken me right. in, in in this uh, particular arena and mm. um, exploring so you know I, I think how I, I'd sort of sum it up is um, I think that Christianity is a means for people to get out of religion, not mm. get into religion. I think it's an exit. Uh, I think I forget who it was. Some some French philosopher, some theologian who said that 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 Christianity is the exit religion from all religions. Hmm. That it's not meant to be uh, quite often what it's wrapped up as, right. which is this kind of construct that explains the whole world in a, in a, a particular way. I, I, I think it actually is meant to open up a space to problematize those notions, which I think mm. are increasingly untenable for people in the times in which we live. Right. And you know, I, I mean, having been around for a while now, and I've been around Christianity for a long time, I meet so many disenchanted, disenfranchised refugees from those experiences. Yeah. After about ten years, it somehow just loses its luster and becomes a backstory to somebody's life and you hear people say oh yeah I used to be mm -hmm. a fundamental I used to be a charismatic I used to go to mm -hmm. like that 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 church and you go to that church and there's still the same number of people there so the illusion is carried on but it's a different group of people and and and, and, and I think that you know it, it, it's my, my take on it I mean I have lots of takes on it obviously um, you know Freud critiqued religion quite a lot um, and uh, he, he sort of reserved his biggest critique, really, for religion. And, and that, that's predicated, I think, on, on a, a lot of things. And, and, I, and I don't uh, necessarily agree with everything. But I do agree with the, the, the way in which um, Freud identified the tendency sometimes for religion to offer a, an escape from reality he called he, he called religion uh, a palliative mm -hmm. and um, and the problem you know the problem with palliatives and, and he wrote about that in civilization and its discontents it is palliatives give you respite from the hardship of life you know he said we, we, we turn to art we turn to sexual love we turn to religion and we turn to intoxicants drugs and alcohol to help us deal with the the problem of existence, the the, the hardship of life's suffering, and stuff like that, and, and we need palliatives. We need moments of uh, escape from reality. But if you turn a momentary escape into a permanent holiday, mm. what was palliative becomes poison. Mm. It's like somebody has an operation 
in hospital, they get painkillers. They're given to help that person get over the temporary pain and trauma of surgery. Right. Six months later, they're living in a trailer with no teeth, <laughs> smoking heroin yeah. um, because they've gone down this path and right. what was palliative has become poison. Right. And, and one of my concerns about the, the dynamics of, of that intensely um, charismatic, and I, mean, I don't mean charismatic necessarily in the theological, I just mean in the experience, right. the kind of ecstatic, right, yeah. euphoric, high energy, high yeah. energy mm-hmm. um, it, it experience, is that it's a little bit like a drug. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's okay, so long as it gets anchored back in in reality and that you don't live in the illusion and in the fantasy escape Mm. and the language of a lot of christianity you know it's it's concerned more it seems about the afterlife sometimes than this life i know that's not exclusively true i don't want to you know just dismiss it but but you know there's a lot of stuff about you know where your soul's going to end up and uh your sin and um all the things that are wrong with you and, and yeah, putting the world right, but putting the world right because the world is wrong and it's wrong only because it doesn't worship God in, 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 in this particular way. And and I have problems with, with a lot of that stuff, to be honest. I right. intense problems. I, I find it very problematic for me personally. Mm-hmm. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy I don't buy what's being sold. It's the end of the day. Yeah. Just don't buy it. You used to? Or at least I started out there. That was a bit of a squeaky voice there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'm sure Freud would have something to say about that. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, because your story is so interesting and unique, and you have such a cool story, but um, I think I heard you tell your story on uh, Rob Bell's podcast, so I, don't, I won't make you go into exhaustive detail, but I'm, a li- I'm curious because... I grew up hearing one kind of conversion story. Sure. I grew up hearing, like, uh, you know, somebody was wayward and violent and drug-addled and sleeping with all of the women. Yep. And and then God... Well, that's become the entry point. Yes. Right. You you almost have to have that story. Right. And if you don't have it, you make it up. Well, and it sells. It sells really, really well. Because we're obsessed with these notions of fall and redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's again a product of a, of a world that's detached from uh, the, the kind of God inhabited world that this emerged from. You know, you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. so when 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 religion is not innate, but is a preference and a choice that's embraced, you have to have a crisis to get you in there. Mm. You, you, yeah, you, a you rock know, bottom. You have yeah. To, yeah, it's yeah, it's. I mean. It's no surprise, really, that AA emerged out of religion. Mm-hmm. It has similar things, you know, except they handled dealing with rock bottom a little better, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you, do, do you know what I mean? So, anyway, I don't know if you were finished. Was there that, was there difficulty for you because you you're you're in the the rock and roll world? Yeah. You're like you're in the thick of it. It's sat from what I understood of your story, like. You're partying. You are. You are living the life. You are enjoying the sure. good fruit. Yeah. And then, um, it sounds like you have some. You had some kind of an experience that was not like God did not appear to you out of the clouds, but something sort of mm. like flipped a switch in your brain. And well, I think. I mean, I, I. I think there are those moments in life. I mean, I. I they don't always have to be really 
dramatic. But I think for most people, there has to be some kind of trigger, something that gets triggered in you that alters the course of your life. I mean, I don't think that's exclusive to religion. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Oprah likes to call them aha moments, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I, and, and big Oprah I, fan. <laughs> she's interesting yeah uh, I, I, th I, she, I think she represents one of the pinnacles uh, uh, of contemporary religious experience in America but that's she, maybe another conversation I, yeah I don't want to go down that road so bad but, but, but so, I, so I think you know um, we have these moments where you know there are I think there are crossroad moments for all of us in life whether you ever embrace religion or not as a human being you reach those moments where you make one decision over another and sometimes there are intense life decisions that alter the course of your life I first divorced God threw him the middle finger and marched myself out of the Christian religion when I was 19 years old it's one of the greatest things I've ever done I was attending Southeastern University an Assemblies of God College in Central Florida with a very traditional take on how one should walk out the faith I was raised Christian by two devout and extremely honorable missionaries who did their best to teach me about a God of love and his son who came to die for my sins so I wouldn't have to. That's a pretty abstract concept to start hearing about at age three, but I was pretty receptive. According to my mother, when I was still toddling, I got down on my knees next to her on the tile floor of our Bangkok kitchen and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. From that day on, I was effectively a Christian. While many of the fellow brothers and sisters of the faith in which I was raised had fairly black and white views on the endlessly mystical, cryptic, controversial brain teaser that is the word of God, my parents always encouraged me to ask questions, dig deep when things troubled me, and never accept anything at face value. Throughout high school, I struggled with elements of my faith that didn't make much sense, like hell and why gays had to go there. I stayed fairly true to the course because Jesus sounded like a pretty dope dude who had some sweet transcendental shit to spit. He rocked the status quo, and I liked that about him. Then I went to college, in the South. For the first time, I was exposed to fundamentalist Christianity with some hardcore American cultural branding. Jesus was packaged in sweet, slick wrapping, complete with fog machines and concert-quality soundboards. Unquestioning faith was totally awesome, man. But doubt? Doubt was frowned upon. For the first time, I was around Christians who had never experienced, or in some cases even seen, abject poverty. Their Jesus was affluent, safe, and marketable to kids to keep them away from the dangers of sex and drinking. He wasn't a radical socialist, a feminist, or a racial-breaking criticizer of the 1%. He was cool and easily palatable, and following him improved your life in the same way that making varsity did or buying a cool car. I was turned off, but I hung on. I held on to the hope that this had more to do with America than God. I convinced myself that if Jesus dropped in on my campus, he'd probably think it was lame as hell, and he'd sit around with me and the other frustrated fringe kids as we asked him questions about whether or not buying Tom's shoes was the best way to help African kids. Then, for the first time, I was exposed to the concept that hell not only existed, but existed for the supreme glory and honor of God. See, hell had to exist because we humans were so evil and profane that some of us had to be punished for our separation from God, lest his glory have no sublime quality at all. And since God was all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-controlling, he selected those who would go to hell, and those who would be saved. This was the first time God had been explained to me as a monster, and I immediately decided I was out. I still remember looking my roommate in the eye and saying, Your God may exist, but he is horrible, and I want nothing to do with him. Fuck your God. I'm out. I'll go to hell with the rest of the people he hates. 
I believe this was the beginning of my walk of faith. This was the moment I turned from assumptions, from my teachings, from everything I had ever known, stripped it down, set it on fire, and started looking for answers. I became vehemently oppositional to Christians at every turn, relishing in forcing them to admit they didn't know something about God or existence. I was never able to absolve myself of the belief that God was there, but I assumed we were enemies. I stayed at this Christian school, absorbing Christian lessons like ammunition to be used on anyone who offered to pray for me because it seemed like I was struggling. Years passed. I became embittered and disillusioned, violently depressed, and while I took joy in butting heads with ignorant faith walkers, I was finding that I was embarrassingly short on answers myself. Then, when I was 21, I experienced something I can't explain. I was living in Bar Harbor, Maine for the summer, working as a server and a busboy at a dockside lobster pound, and I spent my nights conducting a series of experiments to see how much of my bodily weight I could convert into Jameson Irish whiskey. I drank destructively, often deep into blackout, fully aware that I was running from something in a full sprint. One night, I stumbled out of a period of devotion to my liquid savior and trundled down the street to my accommodations, tackling a decorative hedge in a park and headbutting a stop sign hard enough to make myself bleed along the way. I collapsed in the driveway of my house and stared up at the endless stars. I remember realizing how huge it all was, and as I lay there in the silence of the coastal forest, the cosmos being filtered through the kaleidoscopic goggles of whiskey and ale, I began to cry. God, if you're there, and if maybe I'm wrong about you, and maybe, just maybe, you don't hate me, I need your help. Hot tears rolled down my cheeks. I feel like I used to be on the path, but then I wandered off of it to see what was out here in the woods. But now I'm alone, I'm lost, and I'm scared. And if I stay out here much longer, I'm going to die. Please help me out of the woods. I wish I could tell you the skies parted and I saw JC himself, but that didn't happen. I crawled up to my room, threw up all over the awning outside my window, and woke up with a scratched cornea. Two weeks later, I returned from my final year of college. It's common practice at these Christian universities to host huge-scale worship nights for students to attend, but I had made a pretty consistent habit of not attending because, you know, I didn't want to distract anyone with my seething. So when I received the news that they were hosting a night of worship called Hunger and Thirst, I was surprised that a sensation deep within me made me feel like I should go. I hadn't felt an inkling like that in some time, and since I had just left a voicemail for the big guy and hadn't gotten a response, I figured I'd check it out. I quietly stood in the back with my arms folded while people really went hard in the paint worshipping Jehovah Jireh, but I was uncomfortable and physically nauseous, actively trying to avoid the voice in me saying, pray. Just try it. Say one prayer. Okay. God was how I started, and it's all I could get out. I felt a weight press down on my shoulders and literally bring me to my knees as I began to weep so hard I couldn't breathe. The pressing continued and forced me onto my face in a full prone position where I lay sobbing, alone in the back of the room with no one near me. I was filled with fear and overcome by my inability to form any words or thoughts. All I could do was weep. What happened next, I have no way of proving or explaining. I'm willing to take responsibility for a mental break or some laden narcotics that were lying dormant in my system. But, truth be told, I just know it was neither of those. I heard a voice, a tiny whisper directly behind my right ear, 
like someone was cupping their hand to it and speaking very slowly and very clearly. You think you are wandering in the woods alone. You think you are lost. You are not lost. And you are not alone. The woods are filled with people wandering, just like you. People think they'll find me in a church, but I won't be trapped by a steeple. They won't find me in their pews. I'm out here with all of you in the wild, because I am a god of the woods. Everything stopped. The crying, the pressing, the whispering. In a moment, it stopped. I shot to my feet and jumped in my car to get off campus and have a cigarette. The whole experience probably lasted 10 minutes. I have had one or two experiences of that caliber in my life, and there is absolutely nothing I can do to recreate it. That experience left me haunted, and I think it's probably the biggest reason I'm doing this podcast right now. I live in the woods of exploration, questions, doubt, and wonder. I'm haunted by the notion that I'm not alone. I can't explain God. I can't prove he or she exists, and I can't convince anyone of what I experienced. I can only stay haunted and smile when I come across someone else in the woods who is just as haunted as me. I don't think faith is about everything changing in a moment, or us radically becoming someone new in a flash of fire and thunder. I think God himself is the woods and we are all wandering, and I think Jesus is a map of the wild put in language we can understand. It didn't change me overnight. I didn't repent of all my sins and become a preacher. I still drink too much sometimes. I still self-loathe and self-medicate. I still struggle. I always will. We all will. We'll just never do it alone. So maybe, you know, you hit rock bottom and you finally get your act together and you go to AA and you, you, you know, uh, that that's a sort of conversion story, really. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's, it's regard that these sort of experiences you can frame them in all kinds of language. You can frame them in a language of psychology or sociology or, or religion. I think they're human experiences. Um, it's what it means to be human is, is to in, encounter these moments that, that uh, alter the trajectory of your life. And usually at those particular moments, we are given the language to express that. So when, when, I, when I first got involved in in, in uh, the church the language that I, I used was was the language that was given to me the language of salvation and redemption and you know because you just sort of you take it on you know it's like you it, you don't it, they don't give you a book you know a, a glossary that's what everybody's but, saying mm-hmm. but everybody's saying it and, and, and you go oh so that's how you explain that and then after a while you go well yeah but there are nuances to that, and it's a bit more complicated, and uh, and maybe you don't actually have to have that kind of crisis. Right. You, you know what I mean? You don't have to be lying on the ground, you know, sleeping in the gutter to, to find your way to God. You don't have to hit. You can, people come at it lots of ways, but, but we've created this very narrow portal that you need to have. I mean, I remember when I first got, when I first sort of showed up um, uh, uh, around church, and, I, and I'd already been trying to work this thing out uh, by myself, my my own way. And basically, I was told that everything that I thought was wrong. 
that I that I'd missed a big a key component because I hadn't prayed this prayer and given my life to you. And I went, oh, okay, you know, because you just figure, well, they've got the building, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. So so okay, but then after a while, and it, it took a while, um, I was like, well, yeah, but that actually wasn't my experience. That's not the right language for me. It took me a long time to to really be able to. Um, put those experiences and, and, and find the language that, that that worked for me. Like, again, coming back to the whole God thing, I, I you know, um, you could put it down to a distant father if you like, but, mm-hmm. but I never sort of made this big connection with like, oh God, you know, mm-hmm. just didn't. And, and, I, and I used to struggle with that, like, what's the matter with me? You know, I'm missing something, you know, and wow, it feel it should be so cool. And it just feels like this empty, like blank spot well it's it's like the narr- the narrative that I am so familiar with is yeah. that story of like uh, I was living this, this crazy lifestyle and then everything was just replaced by how much better an yeah. experience with God can yeah. be so it's like when I felt how amazing yeah. the presence of God was I didn't need drugs anymore. I didn't need drinking anymore. That's sort of the narrative is like, I traded these good times for these spiritual better times. Yeah. And then when you don't feel those, or like when you when you, when you you hit a dry spell or whatever the case may be, yeah. it, I mean, that's that's the space I find myself in a lot is when yeah. I'm not buzzing off of Jesus juice, yeah. then like everything else starts looking real good again. Yeah, of course. And, and I think that's therein lies the problem. And that's one of the roots of, you know, one of the roots of, of, of contemporary Christianity, one of the strongest roots is its emergence out of the 60s counterculture mm-hmm. and particularly out of the LSD psychedelic counterculture I mean mm-hmm. the, the the first guy baptizing people in the ocean in Newport Beach mm-hmm. was a hippie yeah. who had an encounter with Jesus on an acid trip in the mountains and went down and started baptizing people church people came afterwards and co-opted that but that had nothing at all to do and, and that whole thing of you know Jesus is a way cooler trip than acid. Mm-hmm. That still has currency. In, it's still how it's presented. Yeah. We've got somebody more famous than Johnny Depp in the house. His name is Jesus. Yeah. Please. Nah. Hmm. Give me a break. What do you? What do you? What do you? What's your take on hallucinogenics then? Like as far as a tool for spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Colton. <laughs> well, here's what I have to say. Um, I. There is a long history in the world of religion in general with altered consciousness. And arguably, uh, 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 perhaps be in a very timid way, but if you go to uh, a church where they have extended worship, like music Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, their goal is to alter your consciousness. So altered consciousness and religion go hand in hand, the ecstatic thing, close your eyes, put your hands in the air. It's all about getting out of your body. It's all about creating an environment where the rational mind, where your intellect, where your eyes aren't distracted, mm. you know, so that something can happen to you. And they, they talk about it, you know, you have music before somebody preaches to do what? Prepare the heart to the people. Well, that is a very, very minor attempt to alter consciousness. 
Right. So you can extrapolate out from that. And, you know, there are lots of uh, experiences within the worlds of religion, you know, shamanistic cultures, uh, peyote with Native Americans and all, 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 all kinds of, uh, of different things. So um, I, I personally think that um, the whole kind of psychedelic drug thing failed in that intention hmm. in, in terms of because the, you know the whole 60s LSD the beginnings of the LSD movement w was really uh, an attempt to sort of alter planetary consciousness and change the world my, my friend Kester's written uh, Kester Bruin has written a brilliant book that I'm going to commend to all of your listeners called Getting High okay. which awesome. is about um, man's attempt to transcend height and huh. space and that the real art of living is to have your feet on on, on the ground. So um, I, I wouldn't discount the possibility of an altered consciousness drug experience contributing to somebody's uh, spirituality, nor would I necessarily recommend... The, <laughs> Trying the to people. go. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I mean, I have a couple of friends that have gone and taken ayahuasca in Brazil, yeah. you know. And had kind of profound experiences and stuff. And I don't discount that as right. as a um, a reality. It's not something I'm chasing. Do you know, you know Joe Rogan at all? Are you familiar with his? I know the name. He's he's like a podcaster. He does yeah. a lot of stuff with like sports commentary and all yeah. that. But he's huge on like DMT and going yeah. in like isolation chambers and and they call it the spirit drug or the spirit yeah. molecule. I mean, it's it's been around. It's as long as. As as long as there have been humans, I think we we've had this ongoing. Uh, wow, we took a trajectory here, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've, we, we've had this ongoing kind of desire to explore possibilities. You know, mm -hmm. extending consciousness, understanding consciousness, altering consciousness, and stuff like that. I, I think it can be risky because mm -hmm. um, it's hard to come back. Or no, not well. No, but I but I think you've got you know you've got to know what you're getting into, and I think most of the time when it comes to drugs, particularly in particular environments, we sort of don't know what we're getting into. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about my, and um, that uh, that also might be age, because you know when I think about the recklessness with which I would take any pill when I was right. like 15, you know, without, <laughs> what does that do? Oh, you know, it'll grow hair on your arms and you'll be swinging through the trees, you know, and I'm like. Cool, you know. <laughs> you, you know, you know what I mean. Now I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. Do I want that? No. So you know, I'm probably tempered a little bit, and, well, and, and, and I think it can be distracted to people, you know. And and I also think that huh. that while um, there there are lessons that you can learn from those kind of experiences, you got to anchor your life in the real world at the end of the day. And, and, and people would say that is the real world, and you can only get. But that. that's where you, I would argue that. Freud's point about palliatives mm. as illusion and escape come into play. I have, even I, though he was a cokehead, but that's, <laughs> another, that's another conversation. Well, like, but I, that was uh, cokehead when it was a prescription drug. Yeah, you know, with the lace with the <laughs> Speaking of, you did it. Yeah, you did it off a nail. It was very classy. <laughs> yeah, it's a completely classy. different game. Yeah, Freud had a really long like nail, <laughs> <The bang, laughs> banging rails on the coffee table. Yeah. Um, well, it's like not that any of us ever have. <laughs> nope. I had this. I had this experience of speaking of pills and stuff. When I first when I first tried Molly, 
Um, it was kind of the way you describe, like somebody was just like, here's the thing, we're all already on it. Yeah, and so I was like, just, yeah, yeah, I think I will be as well. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I started to, I started to peak and it was wonderful. I was, I mean, sure. I was like vibrating with the power of a thousand suns and it's yes. just like, I am, I am experiencing bliss in yeah. a, in a way that I don't, I'm not normally able to experience yeah. it. And I suddenly got very anxious that I would never ever be that happy again. Yeah. And I was like, this, there was the knowledge of like, this isn't real. And well, that's what, I mean, that's the sort of pathway that many people take when they wind up in addictions is mm -hmm. because that experience is so profoundly other that you just, you don't want this. Mm -hmm. You don't want reality, you know, cause life is tough mm -hmm. and that's what, that was Freud's argument. Life is hard. Life is suffering. You need. We need these momentary respites. So it's why you have a glass of wine at the end of a long day, you know, or, yeah. or whatever your particular thing is. But but if that becomes the if that becomes the replacement for life, yeah. And religion can can mm. be just as much of a drug. Hmm. In that it becomes this uh, high that you want to experience again and again and again. It becomes this experiential encounter, you know, with something, well, with, Col with otherness. You Coleman know? and I used to talk about how we thought it was so, we couldn't wrap our heads around how there were people within our church community who it seems like every single Sunday, they were like, God spoke. It, it blew my mind. It, yeah. it changed my life. The message changed my life. Worship changed my life, and it's like, man, you were just getting your life changed every seven days. <laughs> well, you see, that's that, you know, that, I mean, those are the that, the cynical part of me goes. You know, a I don't I th I think we use the word transformation way too much because mm. I don't think we change that much as human human beings. But the notion that every week is going to be life changing, mm -hmm. I, I mean, if it changed last week, does it really need to change again this week? I would say no. <laughs> I, I would say no, but 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 again, it's everything's hyped up. It can't just be that we're going to get together and we're going to talk about reality and be kind to each other and hang out and maybe it'll be cool for some people and maybe it'll be boring or maybe it'll just be blah. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because that's what life's like. But no, 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 it has to be. Don't miss this life-changing message from blah 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 blah. This will alter how you see the world and every week. You know, and then you ask somebody like three weeks later, so that life changing message that you heard three weeks ago, how's that working for you? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, that changed my life. It's another thing for it to actually change your life. Right. And, you know, again, I, 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 it sounds so judgmental and, and, no, and, and, and cynical, yeah. but I am very cynical uh, uh, about this kind of uh, appropriation uh, of the promise of total transformation of life. It's and I think that's why people get fucked up with religion because they realize that some stuff just doesn't go away. You don't get over some things. You don't get past mm -hmm. some things just because you prayed a prayer for it. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and that you still have to pay your rent and you still have to deal with people <laughs> And you still have to deal with yourself, and that doesn't change. You know, I, I think a, a lot of times we buy into the idea that we're going to become somebody else really quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then 
when you realize that no I'm stuck with with me and mm -hmm. you know there's that period where the more you know yourself the less you like yourself <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, and and then you have to work out so how what am I going to do what am I going to do with that you know and and so I think actually religion can contribute to that if it dials down the hype mm. but life isn't about hype I am curious what you um, a lot of the people that are tuning in and that are responding to us are people who are they're starting to move to the edges of those churches that are yeah. a little bit poppy yeah um, so I'm curious I'm curious what you would what you would say to somebody who is starting maybe for the first time you know these people yeah you know they're in their 25 to 30 they're in sure. that period of life I'm 27 Colton's weird I'm a little yeah. older than Colton um, it's that period of life where for many of us for the first time we're sure. like uh, we're disillusioned yeah we're starting to get angry about some of these things that we had yeah. been blind to yeah um, I'm just curious what you would say to somebody who's like kind of on that on that edge. <laughs> First, I'd say welcome to the real world. <laughs> um, I, I, well, I think I'd say um, I, I think I'd want to say I, I, I feel your pain, and it's a good thing because mm -hmm. it's a sign, maybe, that you're growing up. And I don't mean that in a that sounds a little condescending. I don't, I don't mean it in that way, mm -hmm. but it means that you're coming into your own, and you're asking what I think are important questions about what you really think uh, about life and I would say be kind to yourself and lay off the self-loathing or, or, or the judgment or the guilt that comes because usually there's an immense amount of guilt whether it's voiced or not when you walk away from stuff like that because you're sold such a bill of goods that to walk away from it feels like a betrayal mm. like you've betrayed or somehow you've let God down or you've let these 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 people down and and I would say that's a feeling that millions of people have had before you and I would just encourage anybody to just work out you got I think you have to work out what the questions are that you are asking of life personally like you don't have to answer every question you know so for some person it really might be a big god question for another person, it, it might be a, a very a personal thing. You got to work out what what your line of questioning is, and and sort of chase that for for a while, and realize that the experience you had was one experience, it wasn't the only experience, it wasn't the total experience, and it wasn't the only option. You were just told it was those things, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. And coming to terms with that it is the first step in going okay. So I had that experience. Some of it was great. Some of it wasn't. Now I'm ready to go forward. So go forward and don't like keep going backwards. There's no point in bitching about it. it just is what it is. It happened. You came to the end of that cycle. Move on mm -hmm. and move forward and see what lies ahead of you. And don't be afraid to experiment and stretch your wings a little bit. Mm. Man, I think that's a perfect way to end this. That's great. Wow. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add or say to that? I don't want to cut you off, but that was a no, very eloquent 
way to answer that question. Here endeth the lesson, children. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm sorry if I uh, undersold Molly to anybody, but uh, <laughs> it, it ended up turning around and I played with a slinky for an hour. So, you know, <laughs> there other we go. than that. Um, yeah, Barry, thank you so much, right, man. So yeah, it was a great conversation. Absolute pleasure. Appreciate thank it. Thank you man. very much. All right. Until next time. All right.